be in Philippians 1, 25 through 30. I had hoped to make it all the way to 2.11, but it was just, after studying and getting there, it just wasn't going to happen. So it starts out in actually one, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my presence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one as for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle that, uh, that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Now what amazes me and what blows my mind is the fact that this was written in A.D. 62. We're in 2023, Think about that for a second. Think about A.D. 62 and everything that was going on. Paul wrote these words, and it was preserved for us to open up and read it at this time. That just blows me away. Paul is an amazing man. He says, let me tell you about Christ and what he's done for my life, because my life was really screwed up before Christ arrived into it. Even when he was going through a tough time, we still get these, these great nuggets of, uh, of uh, just thoughts from Paul through the Holy Spirit about God. Earlier, he says in Ephesians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work uh, in, in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So we have to look at our lives and say, what did God begin in our lives? What did God start in our lives? Did God go away? No. 20 years down the line, or five years down the line, or two years down the line, or two months down the line, God told you to start something. The question is, did you start that? Did you do it? Did you follow it through? Because God is going to carry it on to completion, and he's waiting for you to step in and do what he asked you to do. I don't know what that is, but I know that God talks to us. Sometimes we feel like our lives are falling apart, and we need to go back to God and say, Lord, what's going on? Is it something I've done? Is it not something I've done? And we have to, we, we know that God is going to complete things in our life. And last week we talked about the word apocaridokia and, and this idea that, of the blinders. You know, we've got to focus, and it's all about the head, and it's about stretching out at the finish line. So, it's, it, you know, think of the, the horse at the finish line stretching out, or the runner, you know, as he's going through, he wants to finish strong, and that's what the word means. I've got to finish. I've got to do that. That's what Paul says, and he teaches us that. And then he goes on, and in verse 21, he says, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And this concept is foreign for us. This is not what we think about. It's hard to grasp. Death can be so painful. And for those who don't have this belief in God, I would say it's final, but it's not final, because we know what happens. 
This world looks at it as final, but you either go to heaven or you go to hell. And Paul comes along and he's teaching us that death is really a transition. It's just a continuation of our journey. We're just departing. We're loosening the ropes. Remember we talked about the ship last week. The, the word that Paul uses is the idea of the last rope coming off and the guy would scream, okay, you can depart now because I've untied you basically. You can depart. They would use a word. And, and that's the, the word that Paul uses kind of for death. It's, it's just a departing. It's a moving on. Well, I really thought that those were the two main nuggets in chapter one. And then I started studying this week, and I came across this next one in Philippians 1.27. It's an easy one to memorize, just like 1.6 is a good one to memorize, 1.21 is a great one to memorize, and the next one is verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's easy, isn't it? Whatever happens in life, just, just conduct yourselves. I mean, we could go across, we, we could come up with lots of different situations where we don't necessarily conduct ourselves, right, in a manner worthy. You can put this on a post-it note, little three-by-five card, write it on your mirror. You know, this is a great verse, whatever, to, to memorize this. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Doesn't matter what's happening. Doesn't matter if it happens at work. Doesn't matter if it happens uh, on the freeway. It doesn't matter if it happens on vacation. <clears throat> no matter what happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Look at the words, conduct yourself. The, the word Paul uses here, it's a citizenship word. Well, what I mean by citizenship is well, in chapter 3, he starts talking about how we're citizens of heaven. We'll eventually get to chapter 3. But he kind of grasps this idea that we have a citizenship here, you know, uh, and, and for Paul, what did that mean for Rome and citizenship? But also, what does that mean for him in heaven, him in the kingdom of God? The word conduct yourself in Greek means it's a, it's a public policy. This is where we get the word political from all the, the word, you know, basically citizenship means politics, if you can believe that. So Paul is saying no matter what happens, act like citizens of somewhere else. They understood the concept of, of what it was to be um, from Philippi. It was part of a Roman col uh, you know, colony, and they were far from Italy. They were far from, from Rome. They were in Greece. Okay, now, now mileage-wise, we look at it and go, oh, it's just right across the little ocean there. But for them, that little ocean, you just can't hop on a plane or a fast boat, okay? They were removed from Rome, but Rome was in charge of the world, and they knew what it meant to be Roman. They were a town full of Roman citizens, of retired military Romans that were in this town, you know? They knew what it meant to be from Rome, and they were proud of it. Much like Americans, right? We can be proud of our country, at least up until the last few years, it seems, but we should be proud of our country. It's great to take pride in your country. So Philippi, the people of Philippi, because they were so far from Rome, 
that certain things that they always did at certain times to celebrate that, like we have Fourth of July, right? I'm sure Pastor Paul and the law who they have certain traditions, certain celebrations that connects them to the homeland. That's a good thing. For, for them, they knew what it meant and they understand that. Every, I mean, even the religion came from their mother country and the Romans guarded that, okay? When Paul entered the, uh, the gates of Philippi, do you remember what it said across the gate? Basically, it said, don't bring any new religion into town. You can't come here and introduce something else. They were not going to do that. They were preserving the culture. And this is really cool for the Philippians because they knew exactly what this meant here when Paul talked about citizenship. Because it was ingrained in them. But Paul put a caveat on it. He's like, citizenship in heaven. We have a dual citizenship. Think about that. We're citizens of earth. Well, is it triple citizenship for us? You know, citizens of the United States, citizenship of earth, but we are also citizens of heaven, preserving our great culture. We also have a, lar you know, a larger culture of Christians. When I went to the Philippines, guess what? They were Christians. They sang songs that we knew, but they sang them in their language. It was really cool. Greece, Africa, Mexico, Indian Reservation up north. We have Christians from all over this world. And I can relate to them, even though I don't speak the language. Because we have this bond, this citizenship, this connection, this preserving of our culture of Christ. And Paul is saying you have a dual citizenship, preserving that culture of following God, and there's unity between you. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what? It's a term we throw around in churches all the time, right? Well, it's the good news. Now, when we say good news, the older generation kind of knows what that, because they, they studied that, and that, that word's been thrown a lot, uh, around in church. The younger generation uh, doesn't quite understand it. The good news is the gospel. It means presenting Jesus. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a way that there's good news coming out of your life. Whatever happens. Think about that for a second. Whatever happens, there's good news. Whatever, whatever. There's a silver lining around your cloud. You know, in Texas growing up, we have these huge clouds, billowing clouds. Ever so often we get them sort of here, but not like in Texas, okay? Because Texas is like the, the promised land, okay? But, you know, when the sun is behind these clouds, you know, you've heard the term, the silver lining. The edge of the cloud is all lit up. You can see the rain coming in Texas. Here it's this misty junk that comes down, you know? In Texas, you can see the line of the rain. It's coming toward you, okay? You can run in front of it if you are a runner and want to do that. As kids, we used to play around, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the sun is always shining behind the clouds, 
conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what happens. Whatever happens in your life, people should see the good news. And they should look at you. Because people look at us all the time, right? They watch and see how we're going to react. Are they going to react the way I would react? Are they going to be different? Are they going to be stressed as I would be stressed? Because I know they're a Christian because they talk about being a Christian when things are great. But how is it when they're not so great? Are they going to be just as helpless and hopeless as I am? Because if I was in that situation in my life, I might be totally destroyed. But how are they going to act as a Christian? Are they going to be as grouchy as I am? You know, because I'm a man. I'm always grouchy, you know. If that was happening to me, oh, man, I would, ooh, I'd be telling some people, you know, don't even get me going there. How is the Christian going to act? How are we going to act? How are you going to react when you get cut off on the freeway? Hmm. Paul says no matter what, no matter what, the good or the bad, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says that we're living letters. We're living epistles from this world, written by the Spirit of God, not on tablets, not on paper, not on iPads, but on our souls. We are to be the good news. You are a living letter, so conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I think by the end of the sermon, you're going to have this verse memorized, right? God is using us to write a letter to those who come in contact with us. And God expects good news to come out of us. Our responsibility as Christians is to conduct, to communicate the good news to this world. Okay, now that I've beat that one to death, let's move on, right? He goes on and says, Then, whether I come to see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you will stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Paul says, I know that you're not going to be afraid here. What the word he uses here, I love it, is the same for stampeding cattle. I know you won't be afraid. I know you won't panic. I know you won't take off. You won't fall apart. Even when life around you is stampeding, don't be afraid, especially by those who oppose you. You see, you being a Christian in this world is not a good thing, according to this world. We know that the Philippians were going through some of the same type of stuff. We just don't know what it was. Uh, they, they didn't really talk about it too much. Paul didn't write about it, but we know they had a, a tough time. We assume it was Paul who went through, you know, went through there, and, and he went through the same kind of stuff with them for a while. 
I mean, remember, Paul, at the very beginning, the first sermon of the series, we talked about how Paul was literally beaten, or, well, dragged out of town, and then beaten literally to death. They thought he was dead. That's how much they beat him. And he got back up, and he went back into the town. I mean, these guys were persecuted. They understood what persecution meant. Now, I've heard teachings that Americans are persecuted. For the most part, I understand where people are coming from, but, but we're, we're not persecuted. We're not dragged out of town and beaten. We get our feelings hurt. I can't believe they said that. Can you believe they said that about Christians on the news? Come on! <laughs> but we're not taken out and beaten. We're just persecuted in subtle ways. Because Satan... The same one that persecuted Paul is persecuting us. It's very subtle. And how he really affects our lives here today is little by little. We need to start praying for our families. We need to start praying for our school children because they're being persecuted little by little by bringing ideas that don't belong in their minds. I mean, if you even mention certain, certain subjects in some of the schools, if you want to talk about abortion or transgender or whatever, <laughs> wow, they're going to shut you down pretty quick. So we need to start praying for our children. We need to start praying for each other in our work environments. Because I tell you, we're in this world that is totally screwed up. I'm talking about messed up, and we need to start praying that whatever happens, that we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That whether, Paul goes on and says, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, that number one, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. Number two, striving together as, uh, you know, as one for the gospel of, or for the faith in the, of the gospel. And number three, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. I love the word striving together here. It means contend. It's a battle word. The Roman legions, okay? Think, think of warriors going out. In fact, two ways they would fight their battles all the, you know, a lot. And one of them was... When you got into the Roman legion, they would pair you up with a person, with your buddy, okay? And you would fight with that buddy, and they would try to pair a right-handed person with a left-handed person, okay? I mean, pretty, they thought forward on this, okay? And you were always together. Anytime you were on leave, anytime you were going around town, anytime you went out to, to your post, this guy was with you. Because you weren't in Rome most of the time. You were in countries that you conquered. So people were trying to kill you up. And when you would go into battle, a lot of times, this is a partner. You would understand how your partner moved. You would understand how they fought together. You would understand this movement that he was going to do that. You would put your shields together and protect each other. That's how you would fight. You would protect each other contend. The second way here is it, it, they would pair up five people in a V formation. 
and you know, like flocks of birds, V, okay? And five people, one guy would be in the front and two guys on the sides and you would fight. And sometimes they would add a sixth person to turn around and follow you into battle to protect your backside. And you would just go through and you would battle that way. We are to never battle alone. And if you're out there battling alone, you should find a buddy, you should find a partner, you should partner up with someone that's a Christian, because we're never to battle alone. Contend as one for the faith. That's what Paul says. Paul's saying this is about the body of Christ. We need to conduct as one for the faith. Paul knew what was happening to them in Philippi. And we find out more in chapter 3. There's uh, one of the things that was going on. There's, there's two women in the church, two powerful women, um, that really had some falling out within the church. And Paul actually mentions them by name. Are we supposed to talk about people? Paul mentions them by, by name here. They're not getting along. And guess what? They're tearing the church apart. It's splitting the church. And Paul says, they need to learn how to get along. Get them together. This is not good. You need to contend with each other. Many of us have been through churches that have had problems like this, where people don't get along, and it's never good for a church when people start bickering and fighting. We need to contend. Contend with this world, fight together with this world, not with each other. We need to get together. We don't always have to agree on every little thing because we're not going to but you must contend as one. He goes on in verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you were going through the same struggles you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Now, we don't know exactly what the suffering was, but whatever it was, God allowed it to happen. Think of Job. God allowed so many things happen to Job. It's very interesting what God doesn't grant. God doesn't grant all of our tough times. God doesn't say every tough time I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let Alan just go through the ringer every time. No, God, God, he loves us. We're his children. But sometimes he allows us to mature by going through a tough time. And this is why we need godly people around us, especially when we're going through a tough time. You know, uh, we have to figure out, is God trying to teach me through this? Is God allowing me to go through this tough time to mature me? Or is this tough time one of those things, because I've just kind of made some bad decisions in life, and guess what? This is where I ended up. See, those are two different things, aren't they? You go through a t you can drive 100 miles per hour down the freeway and you're going to have a tough time. You're going to eventually get in an accident, right? Well, that's because of stupidity. That's not because God's going, oh, I want Alan to go through a tough time, so let me get him going 100 miles per hour. No, that's stupidity. Other times, God may allow something to happen because he wants to, uh, well, we'll get to that in a second, but, but uh, you know, it, it's because God is ordaining it in a sense. And we have to figure out which is which. Is this just life, or is God trying to teach me something? 
And we go, but wait a second, I don't want tough times in my life. Well, we're all like that, right? We like when things are going smooth and easy. Every New Testament author went through tough times, and it blows me away. We think as we mature, we don't have to deal with tough times. But that's not what the Scripture shows us. The Lord says, Alan, I want you to learn these before you teach. Chapter 3, verse 10. So I don't want to get to chapter 3, verse 10. Okay? I want to go as slow as I can. Today I plan to go into, you know, into chapter 2. It's just not going to make it there. Paul says, I want to know Christ. And I'm like, hey, Paul, I'm there with you. I like that. And the power of the resurrection. Okay, perfect. Stop right there. This is perfect. I love these two things. I wish he would stop, but he keeps going. and the fellowship of, su- of sharing and suffering. I'm like, what? Excuse me for a second? Fellowship of sharing of suffering? What? I don't think so. Becoming like him in his death, and, somehow, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. I don't like this at all. You mean... I'm going to be a part of the suffering after I become a Christian? Ah, Some people find that out and they leave. So I'm sitting there thinking, well, I I need to read something else. (laughs) Let me get away from Philippians. So you open up to the book of James. James doesn't wait to chapter 3. He just nails it right out. You know, he starts out, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many, many kinds. Oh, isn't this great? Isn't the Christian life a great variety of suffering? Awesome. Not just joy, but pure joy. See, our Savior and Lord, he's using Paul and James to teach us about joy. They both talk a lot about joy, yet their lives are about suffering because they suffered so much. They were really personally persecuted. It's interesting because we know that testing of your faith develops perseverance, the word says. I'm sitting there going, I don't think I need any more perseverance. But wait, wait, wait. It goes on and says, perseverance must finish its work so we can become mature and complete and lacking nothing. I like the mature and complete thing. I really don't like the rest. I want to be mature and complete. Someday I do want to grow up, honestly. I do, okay? But he says, consider it pure joy, Alan, when you face trials, trials of different kinds, because perseverance is on its way. Well, maybe I can go to another author, right? Maybe I can read somebody else. I mean, Peter, you got to love Peter. He was, a, he was a guy always sticking his foot in his mouth, right? If anybody is going for the quick fix, it's Peter, right? I mean, you give Peter some caffeine, and you don't know, I mean, he's going to hack somebody's ear off, okay? Peter was the guy that you know, if anybody could get out of something and figure it out, Peter was that. And as Rob read earlier, 
In all this, greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the, the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when, Christ, when Jesus Christ is revealed. You mean, all this time as I've been living as a Christian, and I think I'm going to have a happier life, and I'm not saying you don't have happy moments, okay? I'm not saying that. But come to find out the trials that I go through, these tough times that I go through, is for the glory of Jesus Christ. Come to find out my life is not my life. It's God's life. It's for God's glory. It's not about my comfort. It's not about the focus being on me. The focus should be on him. So he looks good. And the Lord will allow us to go through all kinds of things so that he may accomplish his glory. Our life is about his glory. Sometimes, because he loves us and he does love us, he allows us to go through a difficult time for somebody else. And I'm like, this isn't even for me? No, it's so somebody else can see it. So you as a Christian can be seen and how you're going to react because people watch. They see how you go through difficult times. They go, how did they make it through that? And they want to know why. God loves somebody else so much that he may make you miserable for a little while to help them. Ouch. That kind of hurts, right? I don't like that. But it's for God's glory. Because people are watching God says here, there's a whole bunch of people looking over your shoulder. And I'm one of these people, I don't like people looking over my shoulder. I can't stand it when somebody stands right behind me. I'll even be sitting in my, my office, I mean my red chair at home, and um, I will call Lisa over to look at something on my computer or my iPad or whatever I have right there, and she'll stand right, I've invited her to stand right behind me to look at it, and then I'm irritated because she's standing right behind me looking at it. Okay? People are always looking over our shoulder to see how we act, to see how we're going to respond. Hmm. So we have to figure out how to turn it into what James said, pure joy. It's hard. I don't know about you, I still complain every time I go through a trial. Or is that just me? You know? My wife, I mean, she's a saint. I mean, Paul called her a saint too, but I mean, literally, she's a saint. The Lord says, I need to get you to a place where you say, man, God must be doing something in my life because I'm going through this stupid time. I'm going through this time that I don't want to be in it. But God must be doing something. Either to change me, 
are to help change someone else. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves or ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is who we are and how we should live. This is who we should be, that no matter what happens, think of the greatest moments in your life. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think of the worst moments in your life. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we're here on earth for, to have a relationship with God that changes us, that also changes others. The Lord wants us to enjoy life, but when difficulties come, we need to act like one of his children and not one of the world's children. Because we've all seen the world's children, haven't we? Yeah. Let's be one of God's children. Well, let us pray as the worship team comes and finishes this out. Lord, we thank you for the difficult times in our life. We don't really want to thank you, Lord, but we know that it's for your glory. And I pray, Lord, that we can understand that and, and that any time we go through difficulty in life, that we can know that you were there, that you were leading us. You're not going to leave us alone. You're not going to leave us out there to, to deal with this on our own, that your spirit is right there with us that we can lean on each other. And I pray, Lord, that we do have a buddy system. I pray, Lord, that you do bring those friends that are, that are mature, more mature than us, that we can go through these difficulties with them for your glory. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he always be watching over your shoulder. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.